The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, welcome to the show today. I'm Diane Ray, feeling lucky, <laughs> trying to feel lucky. Welcome to my show, uh, doing the show live here from the spacious Diane Ray Studios in beautiful San Diego. And uh, I'm saying I'm trying to feel lucky because I just went down and I begged and pleaded and yelled at the guys doing construction and jackhammering uh, next door to the studios here as I'm trying to do a live radio show and, you know, begging for quiet for the next hour. So if you do hear noise or anything like that, that's probably what's happening because I'm, uh, I'm still a radio dinosaur. I'm doing live radio. <laughs> so I'm doing my best to keep things alive. Uh, but we're going to have a fun conversation today. So I'm really glad you guys tuned in, whether you're listening live or if you happen to be getting the show later on the podcast. And we're talking about luck. Do you feel lucky? Do you feel lucky? Do you feel cursed? Some people out there feel like they're bad luck, bad luck schlep rock. You know, remember that cartoon character with uh, the black cloud over his head, <laughs> constantly following him around? He was a Flintstones character. Well, my guest today is going to tell us how we can transform our luck and actually command it, bring it into our lives and be able to connect with this this fabulous uh, power of luck. So I'm really glad that I could connect with him today. Gay Hendricks is a psychologist, writer and teacher in the field of personal growth, relationships and body intelligence. And I first met Gay during my Hay House radio days, where he did a show with us back in the beginning, at the very beginning, over a decade ago, unbelievably so. Um, Gay did a show called Spirit Centered Relationships, with his wife, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. And we also had some great conversations when I did a show at Hay House called the Hay House Book Club. And I had the pleasure of featuring some of his fiction books, the Tenzing Norbu mystery series that he co-wrote with Tinker Lindsay. And I loved those books. And I spoke with him just right before we're going live here. And I asked him about the title character of 10, because I had him in my mind of who I would cast for the TV series. And I hope that that may still resurrect and, and we might see that come to the screen. So I was thinking Keanu Reeves or Daniel Day Kim, who was in the Lost series for the title character. So if you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, definitely check out Gay's books, The First Rule of Ten and the rest of the series, the Tenzing Norbu mystery series, just really cool stuff. So his latest book, Moving Forward, is called Conscious Luck, and he co-wrote this with Carol Klein, and the book explores the concept of being lucky and how we can actually control and enhance bringing luck into our lives. So, Gay, I'm so ha happy that you could join me today and we could chat about this on the show. Thank you so much, Diane. It's really great to be, be with you. It is. We meet again. I'm, I'm so I'm so glad that our, our paths could cross. So I wanted to start off just by talking about your definition of luck. And you don't feel that it's just a random occurrence, but that we can actually learn ways to change our fortune. So tell me about your definition of luck. Yes, well, most people, Diane, probably think of luck as either something you're born with or somehow blessed with or given to you from outside. And also a lot of people go around with the basic belief that they're not lucky. And what we found is that actually luck is a matter of choice. You can actually make moves and do things that increase your luck. And so Carol and I started researching all of this about 10 years ago. And Finally, now we have the book on it. We have different eight different paths that people can take that we describe in the book, eight different ways that people can enhance their chances of good fortune in life. And it's it's very exciting to see people. We've got a very thriving new uh, Facebook group now that's a, a conscious luck global group. So people are all over the world are trying on these principles and reporting back the things that happened to them afterwards. And it's really exciting watching people in real time change their luck. The big discovery 
that we made through the book, there's a wonderful woman named Tina Selig, who's a Stanford professor, and she's done a lot of research on conscious luck. And she says that luck is like a wind that's always blowing. And our job in life is to get our sails and our wings set so that we can be carried along on that wind effortlessly. So <clears throat> luck is not something you're born with or something that gets you like a lightning strike, like a lottery win or something like that. That's one kind of luck. But the kind of luck we're talking about is the day in, day out kind of thing where you feel luckier and have more positive consequences happen in your life on a daily basis. So our version of conscious luck is really about being in the right place at the right time for the very best thing to happen. And then in the book, we show eight different ways of getting into that state of consciousness. Well, I love some of these concepts, and I've been practicing some of them myself since I've been reading the book. And I wanted to start by bringing um, some of it into the present, like what we're experiencing right now. And I'm sure a lot of people that are listening aren't feeling very lucky right now. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, people have lost their jobs through no fault of their own. You know, maybe they were furloughed and they weren't brought back. You know, so it's really stretched our belief in good things happening right now. So how would you be able to reframe this that we, you know, we can commit to thinking that we can be lucky even in the midst of all of this? Yes, that's a really great question. Well, for starters, anytime things are coming apart, which they are in many ways right now, and especially if you've lost your job or your lifestyle has been really compressed or interfered with by this, which most of us have been, it's kind of hard to go in there and feel lucky. But at the same time, you've got to realize that every time in your life things have fallen apart, they've usually reconstructed themselves in a more positive way going forward. Like I remember being fired way back, gosh, whoa, when was that? Way back in this, uh, probably around 1970, getting fired from a job that I was just terrible at. I was an administrator of a halfway house for juvenile delinquents. And I, I'm a good clinician, but I turned out to be just a terrible administrator because all the stuff like budgets and committee meetings and things like that just that almost seems stuff that I had to put up with so I could spend time working with my clients. And so, you know, just because you're you're a good teacher doesn't necessarily mean you're a good administrator and vice versa. So I got fired from that job. But the results of that changed my life in the sense that I reinvented myself and decided to go for what I really wanted in life and do what I really love to do. And, you know, it took some time to get that underway. But my point here at, at this particular period of time is that let's take the way life is going at the moment and open up and embrace that and say, what can I learn from this? What do I need to shift in myself to take advantage of the way this particular wind is blowing? I don't sail myself on a sailboat, but uh, my um, co-author Carol has a boat that she and her husband sail on. And apparently you can even have the wind blowing straight at you and, and make a positive, <laughs> adjust your sails so that you're going in the right direction. And I don't know how the physics of that work, but uh, at least I'm told that's true. So. In life, you oftentimes looks like the wind is blowing straight at you, but if you can adjust things properly and open up your attitude and open up your metaphorical sails to it, you can go still in the direction that you want to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I love what you're saying, because I think a lot of people that are in this situation right now, and I have, you know, a couple of really good friends that have lost positions and someone who lost their job after 19 years at the company and just got a really raw deal. And sometimes it's really hard to think um, as you're in the present moment of something being lucky or something lucky happening to you right now. And and you were saying, though, that you kind of have to force yourself to to bring yourself into that present moment to 
to open your eyes to what could be available to what could yeah. come out of out of this situation and even i've seen just looking around like in with organizations that i'm working with this pandemic that we're in has kind of forced them to do things in different ways that are, are better that that may not have happened unless this had happened so i i see what you mean that sometimes that we're in a bad situation but that there can be kind of a glimmer or uh, you know a, a kernel of, of hope or light that will help us to you know maybe bring in some more luck in in something that we might have thought not not have thought would happen at all you know we may, might never even have thought of that unless this situation happened well that's exactly it and i'm not talking about denying your feelings of anxiety or fear you know we're all going to have those when situations like this change we're going to have awakenings of sadness and anger and fear and that kind of thing but you need to also allow the opening to occur for it to be the luckiest thing that ever happened to you because oftentimes out of these kind of chaotic situations it opens up a space of reinvention that can be something that can really make a powerful shift in you for the future. And in the book, you start by telling the reader that one of the first steps is that they have to believe that they are fortunate. So if you're talking with someone who's just been convinced their whole life that they're just one of those bad luck schlep rocks, like the cartoon character, that mm -hmm. no good things can happen, um, you, can you give us a, a first step to, to shift us into that belief that, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate, I can be fortunate? Okay, well, one way to start is just to realize that there are, last time I looked, there were 8.9 million species on planet Earth. So there's almost 9 million other things like us. Some of them have six legs, some of them have eight legs, some of us have four, <laughs> two legs, and so forth. But all of us are united in the fact that, that we're one of these nine million or so species that populate planet Earth. Yet, isn't it amazing? Aren't we blessed that you and I are happening to be in the one species that can sit here and have a conversation about conscious luck? So think of the luck involved in that. You know, one of the stories that the Buddhists uh, talk about, I think the Buddha may have used this as an example way back, and um, says that um, the chances of being born into a human incarnation are about as good as if a turtle comes up to the surface and pokes its head up only every 100 years that on one occasion it pokes its head up and happens to put its nose through a life preserver that somebody's left in the ocean. You know, so the chances out of 9 million species of arriving here as a human being are tremendous. So let's take advantage of that. Let's have the big conversation since we are the one species that can really have these kind of subtle detailed conversations about psychological things and spiritual things. Let's take full advantage of that and ask ourselves, what are the big questions that we really need to answer in ourselves to have an expanded, beautiful life, beautiful according to the standards that we ourselves choose? And so when you begin to ask those big questions, one of the big questions, I think, is what can I do from moment to moment in my life that makes me more able to attract good fortune, that makes me more able to open up to more love and more abundance and more creativity. What are those moves? Because we're not born with them. We need to kind of learn them as we go along. And so in Conscious Luck, we found these eight, there may be 20 more, but we found eight things that we know you can do on a regular basis that will shift the frequency of your life so that you're attracting more luck. Right. That's so true. Nobody teaches us this stuff, right? <laughs> we we no. have to kind of stumble through life, you know, and, and find out, or we have great teachers like you that kind of open our eyes to ask ourselves those questions. And as you say in the book, you know, sometimes that's uncomfortable, right? When you start doing that exploration and 
And hey, now I guess now is the perfect time to do that if we're hunkered down and we're not really going out as much as we were, you know, now, now is a great time to incubate and maybe hatch some new ideas and ask ourselves those really deep questions. So when people pick up the book and I hope they do, you know, they'll spend some time with some of the exercises and the stories in here. And I I was spending some time with it and you take the reader through these experiential exercises. And one of them, I was laughing at myself, tried to do this was writing a statement in your non-dominant hand. Yes. Um, you know, meaning I'm right handed. So I was trying to write um, the affirmation statement that you had in the book with my left hand. I'm like, this is silly. Why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, but I still kept doing it. And and you even say in the book that you're going to feel silly sometimes if you try to do that. But could you just explain why those kinds of things work that you offer in the book, those exercises? Yes, it's because we're looking for a whole person, whole body, whole brain kind of learning. You see, when you write with your dominant hand, let's say you're right-handed, as you and I are, you're operating with your, you're operating your right hand with the left side of your brain. And when you're operating your left hand, you're operating it with the right side of your brain. That's just the way the wiring works. So, I ask you in the book to write out an affirmation with your dominant hand, and then I ask you to shift over and do the same thing with your non-dominant hand. And it just integrates a different space in your brain. And and it's also fun to do once you kind of get over the uh, silliness of it. Um, it's, it's important, though, because a lot of our learning is left brain kind of learning, you know, book learning, idea learning, concept learning. But we really want to flip over to that other side of the brain and have feeling and images and the the deep sensation connection. And so the kind of right hemisphere things that are involved with feeling and connection and intimacy and intuition, those are important to get into the mix too. So it's basically for us, the way we do it is, it's a it's an exercise where you really get to use both sides of your mind. Well, it's really interesting to try, and I, I urge people to do this. And it made me think of Louise Hay's exercise, our, our mutual friend, uh, Louise Hay. And she would have people look into a mirror and say, I love you. I really love you. And I've I've felt really ridiculous and silly doing that. And it, it really is a powerful exercise. So she was on, on the right track, and, and so are you in doing this. So I urge people to move through the silliness, you know, or those feelings and, you know, and pay attention to them. And you even say, you know, that those feelings are evidence that we're, you know, we're moving or growing or, or something's happening, right? So we shouldn't shrug some shrug it off just because we feel that it's it's silly or stupid no because what you really want to do is open up and get a wholehearted loving unconditional acceptance of all of yourself your silliness your grandeur your magnificence your ridiculousness we the great poet walt whitman one of my favorite poets said I am large and contain multitudes. Each one of us is large and contain multitudes. We have an infinity of creativity within us. And I want us all to open up to and experience and express as much of ourselves as we possibly can. One of my favorite quotations comes from the Gospel of Thomas, which was one of the apocryphal Gospels that uh, didn't make it into the uh, official Bible later, but it has some wonderful things in it. And one of the my favorite quotations is that if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. In other words, that we all have something inside ourselves that we want to bring forth. And in my experience, human beings have a virtually untapped amount of creativity in ourselves. And I don't mean just creativity, writing a book or writing a symphony, but I mean, you can just be as creative making a soup as you can making a symphony, because if you're calling on your whole being, you're calling on the moment to bring forth 
something new that you're putting in your soup or something new that you're putting in your symphony. To me, that's the essence of life is creating things anew in every moment. And the same in our relationships, too. Katie and I have been together 40 years now, but we do things all the time in our relationship that's in our books that renew ourselves. And so constantly we're in a state of renewal. And so we're in a brand new relationship every day. And so that to me is the best of living because then we're living right on the creative edge of what we can bring forth as human beings. And that, that quotation from Gospel of Thomas has another part too. It says, the first part says, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. And what they're meaning by that is that these things that we have inside ourselves that are kind of like our, our sacred gifts that we're here to bring forth, we need to really invite those things forth because those things, if we don't bring them forth, can make us feel bad in ourselves. And, and, and if we don't feel like we're bringing forth our true potential, we're eliminating the possibility that we can really feel vibrantly alive in every moment. I, I really I love what you're saying because I really believe that everybody has a special gift or something they can offer. And it might not be as obvious as writing a book or musical talent or something like that. But I think we tend to ignore it. And thankfully, we have people like you and teachers like you to, you know, remind people that we have to excavate these things, bring forth what is within us. For example, I have a good friend, the one I mentioned at the beginning of the show that just lost her job after 19 years with the company. And she's moaning the fact of, oh, I'm in my 50s. What am I going to do? I have nothing to offer. And she just doesn't realize what I see, all of her skills and talents. She's the most organized person I've ever met, would make an amazing executive assistant or something like that, you know, doesn't believe that programs and things can be learned. I mean, so many things I've just had to learn in this year, new computer programs and, you know, other other things that come up. But I, I mean, what's the difference between someone who's just so covered up and not seeing their qualities and then other people that are willing to try and maybe fail, but they'll take that risk? Well, I think what you're talking about are the fears that are underneath. Sometimes we get scared about releasing our full potential. In the book that was the predecessor to Conscious Luck, uh, my book, The Big Leap, I talk about several main fears that keep us trapped oftentimes in what I call either our zone of incompetence, our zone of competence, or our zone of excellence. So to me, the best of life comes when we're living in our genius zone, when we're out there in the world of what we most love to do, and also what makes the biggest contribution to the world around us. I think when we're living in our genius, what we're doing is bringing forth the best from ourselves and also inspiring other people to bring forth the best in themselves. And so that to me is living at its best. But what happens is a lot of times we get trapped behind certain fears. And in The Big Leap, I talk about two or three of the biggest ones, one being the fear that somehow deep down inside you don't deserve the good things in life. You don't deserve love or you don't deserve success. Somebody has put the idea in your mind and maybe you put it in there yourself, but somebody usually puts the idea in your mind that there's something wrong with you or something fundamentally flawed in you that keeps you from being your full success. I came across this wonderful quotation from Albert Einstein. He said, everyone's a genius, but the problem is that we end up trying to teach dogs to climb trees and you know that we try to teach people who aren't suited to one thing to do something else and we make people feel bad because they can't do something else and so we end up not tapping the genius of people as they are and I found that to be really true I, I think last time I counted I'd worked with something like 20,000 individuals and about 4,500 couples and about a thousand business executives over the years and one conclusion I have come to is that each one of us carries within us 
the potential for a new type of 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 living in our genius that brings forth what we're really here to do and to to get to that place i'm not saying it's easy when i first started thinking about this i was doing maybe 10% of my time doing what i most love to do back 30 35 years ago but then i started setting goals i said okay a year from now, I'd like to be doing 30% of my time doing what I most love to do. And so I started working that up. But sure enough, by the time the the century ended, I was spending 90% of my time doing what I most love to do. And so and that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And so that's not working. That's being that's making a living by doing what you most love to do. It's like being on vacation all the time. And so that's why I'm sitting here talking to you with just as much as excitement as I was when I was talking about the same thing on Oprah 30 years ago. To me, it's the most important things in life that we need to know about. And, and that's it just keeps me really renewed every day that the opportunity that more and more people are learning how to engineer their own luck and engineer their own conscious loving experience, for example. Well, we're just going to take a short break and then we'll be back and talk a little bit more. And if we do get some people rolling in, since we're broadcasting live right now, 816-251-3555. If you had a story to share or just a quick question for Gay Hendricks, you can always join us. I'm Diane Ray and also check out Gay's book, Conscious Luck. There's a website, ConsciousLuck.com. We'll be right back in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for coming back. I'm Diane Ray, just having a great conversation here with Gay Hendricks about his latest book, Conscious Luck, Eight Secrets to Intentionally Change Your Fortune. And he's also the author of The Big Leap was his previous book. And his co-writer on this one, Carol Klein, I really love the story, though. I hope I hope you can share that, Gay, about how you kind of synchronistically came together to to put this book out. Like, I think that's great because just recognizing that those kind of things can happen. And, you know, I think that there's maybe, you know, there really is some kind of uh, force or, you know, conscious intelligence that sometimes makes those things happen. I agree. And part of conscious luck is being available in these little moments for these magical things to happen. What happened with uh, Carol, my co-author, I was involved with um her and Jack Canfield about 15 years ago, we all worked on a book together. And Carol has worked with Jack on many occasions as a co-author of different chicken soup books. And Jack and I have been friends for, gosh, 30, 40 years. As a matter of fact, I helped Jack get his first book published, uh, even before in his pre-chicken soup days. And so uh, I knew Carol through there. So Carol and I live in this same little town in California called Ojai, which is in a little mountain valley. And it's a uh, kind of an artist's and writer's retreat place where there's a lot of spas here and a lot of Hollywood folks have ranches here and that kind of thing. And so it's a very creative place to live. And a lot of creative folks live here. And so it's not uncommon at the farmer's market on Sunday is where you bump into lots of well-known actors and writers and people like that that are down there buying the same fruits and vegetables. And so uh, I kept bumping into Carol at the farmer's market on Sundays. And I had written, after The Big Leap came out about 10 years ago, I, I started writing the first bit of Conscious Luck then. And I laid out about the first four chapters about what I thought really needed to be in the book. And then I got bitten by the mystery writing bug. I came up with this character, Tenzing Norbu, and I got seduced into writing mystery novels. And I just basically disappeared into the world of a Tibetan Buddhist private detective for the next four years. And so Carol, when I would meet her, she would say, 
what's happening with conscious luck? Because she was really into the subject matter. And uh, I'd let her read the first four chapters and she got excited about it. And she kept saying, when are you going to finish the rest of the book? So Carol is a wonderfully bold uh, person. And after a couple of these meetings, she said, I've got a bold proposition for you. How about I write the second half of the book with the interviews and the activities and the processes and and uh, and then it'll flesh out the the book and we'll have one uh, you know a book and out of it and I said well what a great idea and so that's how it worked and she turned out to be the most amazing collaborator she's a terrific writer but also she's just an angel of a human being we collaborated on a whole book without ever a crossword between us or any kind of misunderstanding or anything like that, which is amazing, you know, to be that involved with somebody for six or eight months in a row without ever having any kind of crossword between you. That is amazing. <laughs> and sometimes, uh, you know, a, a miraculous, uh, a miraculous feat. But I love what you're saying, you know, fortune favors the bold. And she also shares a great story of her own experience in the book of, of kind of taking a bold move and, and holding to her guns on a situation to get something that she wanted. Um, and I guess this book was just meant to be because you kept running into each other and, you know, she kept throwing it out there. Hey, you know, what are you doing? And and then when the door was ready to open, then it opened and things kind of came together. So I want to kind of piggyback on that, that concept, because I mean, I, I try to take risks, even though I think in my nature, like a, I'm a cancer crab. I don't know if any of that astrological stuff is really true, but I have a lot of those traits. Like sometimes I'm afraid to take a leap or, or take a risk. And, and I've done, I've done that pretty, pretty well, I guess, through most of my life. But you know, again, we go back to the fear, like what if you're ready to, to take a risk, you want to be bold and you did, you took the risk and then it didn't work out and it, it was a, a failure, you know, and things, things do fail, you know, or, or it was a disappointment. I mean, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but just making that pivot. Right. But I mean, being bold, you know, even, even having the, the wherewithal and the strength to take that leap in the first place, especially when it's not your nature. Yes, it is. Carol calls it 20 seconds of insane courage. <laughs> that all, yeah, at some that. point in our life, all of us need to dig deep down in there and come up with our 20 seconds of insane courage. Uh, it's like when I, I first saw my wife to be across a crowded room, I, I had this thought, that is the most beautiful human being I've ever seen. And I got to figure out some way to go talk to her. And Fortunately, she happened to come over to talk to me, so I didn't really have to uh, do anything more. But then I had this moment of what do I say to her, you know, that uh, I may never have this opportunity again. And what came out of my mouth turned out to be uh, something that has lasted us now 40 years because I said, I just have to tell you, I feel very attracted to you and I don't know anything about you. And I'd love to ask you out for a cup of coffee or something. But I just have to let you know that I'm only interested in relationships where both people are completely honest with each other and both people take responsibility for the stuff that comes up uh, instead of blaming it on each other and where both people are completely into their own creative process and really respect the creativity of the other person. And I, that all came out in about 15 seconds. I figure I'm never going to have another chance to say something like this to this individual in my life. And might as well just tell her the truth. And the truth was based on the fact that just a month before, I'd sat down in my apartment and figured out how I messed up every relationship I'd ever been in by doing one of those three things wrong, by either not being completely honest or the other person not being honest with me, or we would get lost in blaming each other for things, or we would get lost in the other person wasn't into their creative flow. And so creativity was an issue. In my case, I disappear into a room for two or three hours a day and I write. And if that's not okay with the other person, if they don't respect that process, it creates conflict. And it had created conflicts in my 20s and early 30s. I would get into relationships where my focus on my creative life was a problem and the other person complained about me kind of disappearing for a couple of hours every day. So 
I wanted to make sure in my relationships that I covered that base. Fortunately, Katie listened to that and said, yeah, you know, she was attracted to that. And we got together and we not only had our cup of coffee, we had lunch and then we have been together for the past 40 years. And so it takes those little moments, I think, of breaking outside ourselves, kind of going beyond our own limitations to find out what we really need to do in our lives. And so I really recommend that people look for those opportunities to kind of go beyond their ego and to get out there in the land of the unknown and just invent something brand new. Well, I love that example because I think that I could imagine if I was in that situation, you know, and you're just meeting a, a guy for the first time and, and you came out with this whole thing, you know, once, <laughs> like most people would have said, oh, well, I don't know, you know, we haven't even said hello yet and you're already talking about a relationship. Um, but but something told you, you, and you answered that internal GPS that you talk about in the book and you said, okay, I need to say this. And, and you felt it was the right thing to say. And you followed that intuition, even though you might have been nervous, like she could run away screaming. And and she didn't. And so and it worked out perfectly. But I mean, I, I love, you know, the recognition of the internal GPS and feeling that it's important to pay attention to it, because I think so often we ignore it. And 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 you write about, you know, there's there's being in the right place at the right time and all of that. But you also have to learn to rely on you know, that that inner ding that Louise would call that feeling that is somehow in all of all of us humans, right? I don't think any other animals have that. Yeah, we don't know. But in us, for sure, it's something that needs to be deeply, deeply acknowledged in ourselves. We need to see, I, I had the experience in a way, the great gift, although it didn't seem like a gift at the time. I, when I was born, I had some glandular stuff wrong with me that made me gain weight very quickly. So by the end of my first year of life, I was like in the top 2% of baby weights, very fat baby. And I continued to gain weight. And I was always the fat kid in school. And it was strange because everybody else in my family was skinny. And so I was taken around to different medical professionals to try to figure out what was wrong with me. And I was put on all these different medications and different diets and everything. And so, um, but the fact is, I never got free of the problem until I was 24 years old. And I had a moment of enlightenment where I could feel all the way and see all the way down through the very center of myself. And I realized that I had this at the time, I weighed 300 pounds compared to the 180 I weigh right now. And so I had this 120 some extra pounds on me at the time. I could feel like the extra weight was to protect me from feeling all of these feelings down inside that I didn't know I had. Old things that I was angry about, things that I was sad about, things that I was scared about. And so I think I overate to deal with all of that stuff. So once I had that moment of enlightenment, I realized that I'm not my body. I am this spirit, and it wrapped around the spirit is this body. And But who I really am is this vast ocean of pure consciousness inside that doesn't have any programming on it. All my programming is wrapped around that, and it's not the essential me. And once I felt that, Within a year, I lost 100 pounds, 100 and some pounds, and continued to get in much better shape. Um, that it changed my life because I think I found out who I really was. And in a way, it reflects the same thing we're talking about in conscious luck. Because when you come down to the very essence of yourself, you have a place in yourself from which you can reinvent yourself constantly. And what I'm suggesting that people do in Conscious Luck is go ahead and reinvent yourself with a commitment to being luckier every day, in your, every day of your life. Open up that possibility. Say yes to that possibility. Just open up and open. And, I mean, it's great to do the processes in the book. I really highly recommend it because it'll really speed up things. 
But for starters, just begin to open up to this idea that you could be luckier every day of your life. Right, just start there and then see what happens. I'm talking with Gay Hendricks about his book, Conscious Luck. And, you know, in the first part of the book, uh, I really like some of the, the concepts that you dig into because you address things like shame, you know, and that being a very powerful emotion that keeps us from achieving our true potential. And in the book, how uh, you talk about how you're able to transform shame into a magnet for luck. And I think you kind of what you were talking a little bit about, you know, digging into the real core of who we are and maybe you, maybe you don't consciously realize that you're, you're feeling shame. Right. But it really takes asking those questions and, and doing some of the work to get through to that. But shame really is a powerful thing that will keep you from attracting luck or, or moving forward or things that you want to do in life. And you shared a couple of really interesting stories in the book. And I love how you weave that in, you know, how you have different stories from people that illustrate the point. It, it makes it really fun to read. Well, that was a powerful moment for me, Diane. I had this experience. It was in 1990, and I guess at the time I was 45 years old, and I had really never tuned into the whole field of shame that I suddenly discovered I was carrying around in my body. And it was interesting, too, because a friend of mine, John Bradshaw, many years ago had written a whole book about shame. And I remember when I first saw it, I thought, gosh, I don't get it, you know, <laughs> I don't see, I've never had an experience of shame. Why would you write a whole book about that? I mean, maybe I felt shame once when I got caught soft lifting some bubble gum or something when I was in the third grade. But anyway, it hadn't occurred to me that there were lots of other things that I felt shame about until this one amazing day in 1990, when my brother and I were down at my mother's house in Florida, cleaning it out after she passed away in August of that year. And I was moving a picture frame that we were packing away when a an envelope with a letter in it fell out of the back of the picture frame that had obviously been stuck back in there, presumably by my mother, because it was a letter addressed to her from her church group. And when I saw the postmark, it was 1945, which was the year I was born. And the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I read the letter. And then I really got a chill because the letter was this impassioned plea to my mother from her church group saying, please, Norma, you can't just sit in your house and feel shame all the time. We know the birth wasn't what you wanted it to be or how you how your baby was born wasn't ideal and all of that. But you can't just sit in your house and and be alone. We want you to come back and be with us again. We won't judge you where we love you. Anyway, it was this amazing letter and it just split my heart into frankly and in that moment I realized oh my gosh my I was gestated and pickled and nursed in this field of shame and I don't even know I didn't even know it and when I had that realization suddenly I held I could feel all the places in my body that still held that old feeling of shame and it was an electrifying moment. But what happened afterwards, I realized since I had this new territory in my body, I could rededicate that field to, to being an attractor field for luck and love. And that's what I recommend that everybody do is once they open up and feel whatever any kind of old feeling they've got, that they acknowledge that, but they can also replant the field with a new crop. And then to instead of shame, you've also got a new attractor field for love and luck in your body that begins to draw things to you that are of a positive nature. So that's the power of opening up to ancient feelings like that, is that once you know where they are and what they are, you can feel them and talk about them and then open up that space and declare it to be about something brand new. That's so uh, such an amazing story. I'm so glad you shared that in the book because I wonder if there, I mean, now I'm, now I'm getting too cosmic, but you know, maybe you were supposed to find that, 
you know, you were supposed to find that letter after all those years and be able to connect the dots of feelings that you had when you were younger and be able to let that go. And and you talk about that in, in the book, going through those processes of letting go of our past and letting go of the of the demons and and things that are kind of dragging us down and learning to let go though, it's kind of a process, right? You have to learn to say, okay, that the past was the past, I'm here now. And you have a, a great exercise in the book to kind of help us with that, you know, but I, I think it's so, it's so important to look back and address those things. And you said you could even physically feel a difference, right? After you were able to, you know, process some of that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, so many times in my life when I've had little breakthrough moments like that, I've been immediately rewarded by having something amazing happen afterwards. Well, I, you know, the story I tell in the book about this, this thing that happened to me in the ninth grade really was extraordinary because I was sitting next to this kid named Danny and they had a drawing and they were going to draw three names out of a goldfish bowl that had 250 names that we all, you know, we'd all put our names on the back of our ticket and just put it in this goldfish bowl. And they were going to give away three things. And the top one was a wristwatch, which was really cool. And, and Danny, before the drawing leaned over to me and he said, watch this, I'm going to win one of these prizes. And I said, okay. And sure enough, they had the drawing and he won the wristwatch. And I said, how did you know that? How'd you know you were going to win? And he said, it was easy. I, I win drawings all the time. I win prizes all the time. And, I, and he said, I made up my mind one day to be one of the lucky ones in life. And ever since then, I win things all the time. And so he told me more about that. And he had figured out that some people in his family were lucky and good things happened to them. And some were unlucky and bad things happened to them. And so he just decided, I'm going to be one of the lucky ones in my family. And so ever since then, he'd had these things happen. And I had a thing happen right after I decided to be one of the lucky ones, because I was walking home from the movie theater that day. And I said, OK, if it's that easy, I'm going to just take it on. I'm going to be one of the lucky ones in life. And right away, this amazing thing happened where I found a briefcase on the sidewalk in front of a store that I'd come out of. And in that briefcase, unbeknownst to me, was a very expensive coin collection. You know, probably, I don't know, in today's money would probably be worth half a million dollars. I did not know that, but I saw the briefcase and I picked it up and I took it back into the store because I theorized that the man who had, I'd seen the man in the store before and he, and he was over talking to the owner. And so I figured it was his. He came out and put his briefcase down to put money in a parking meter and then walked off without it. And so I took it back into the store owner and he said, oh, my God, where did you find that? And I said it was right out front next to the parking meter. And I told him the story. And so then I went off to the movies. And then when I came back from the movies, I went back over to that store to find out the outcome. It turned out they'd been looking for me all over the place to give me a the guy wanted to give me a big reward. And turned out to be a collection of uh, of uh, buffalo nickels that were worth probably at the time maybe $35, which was more money for a ninth grader than I could conceive of having at any one point. But it just happened to be right after that moment when I had made that shift, I got rewarded for it right away. And so I just want to invite people go ahead and make that shift and then just watch what happens. You know, you don't have to believe this. Just watch the results that happens after you make the shift to making a choice and a commitment to being what I call a VLP, a very lucky person. Well, I read that story and I thought, that's it. I'm convincing myself that I'm lucky. I'm just going to be very lucky. <laughs> so I'll let you know, uh, you know what happens if I can if I can bring in some extra luck. But also a piece of that um, in the story that you just shared is you were willing to you, you know, you're going to do something for someone else. You know, you could have kept the briefcase and no one would have been the wiser, but you felt the right thing to do was to, you know, return it or do, you know, try to help and do something for someone else. And you encourage people in the book to do that, too. You know, hey, if you're. 
if you're being stuck in the, you know, muck in the mire of your own depression or feeling like you're cursed, you know, there's no way I can be lucky, then try to do just do something simple for someone else. And and that can also help to shift things too, right? To kind of take the focus off of our own troubles and, and help yes, someone I, else. I, I'm a big believer in that because, well, I've had so many clinical experiences with that. I mentioned one story of I was on the phone once with a man in a different state, uh, three or four states away from where I lived, and he was very depressed. He was another therapist, and he'd gone into a period of depression that I'd helped him work through before. And he called me up, and we were talking, and I couldn't seem to do anything that left that lifted him out of it. I couldn't. And we were on the phone for quite a while, and I, finally I said, "On the way home tonight, did you notice anything that you could do for somebody else that was real simple? It wouldn't even take you a minute." And he said, well, he noticed that an elderly lady in the condominium below him, the front of her area was kind of untidy and hadn't been swept. And she was kind of a shut in and, and um, you know, was not doing well. And so I said, OK, I'll stay on the phone, run down there, get a broom, sweep it, tidy it up. I'll stay here on the phone and you come back and talk when you finish doing that. And so it only took him a few minutes. You know, a few minutes later, he came back up, and I was blown away by the shift in the tone of his voice. It was just he'd gone up about half an octave, you know, instead of talking to me like this. He was suddenly talking in a regular tone of voice again and had that depression had lifted out of him. And, you know, it seems like magic in a way when things like that happen, but they're based on really sound scientific principles that if you can bring forth what is within you, if you can just give something out of yourself, no matter what it is, it then enables you to take a bigger in-breath. If you take a nice big full out-breath, you can then take in a bigger in-breath. And so we can use that basic principle to get more and more into the flow of life. And in that place, there is no depression, there is no anxiety. Right. No, I love that. And it's just such a great reminder, you know, and I'm, I'm going to look uh, through the rest of my day here for maybe something easy that I could do, you know, maybe bring my neighbor behind me her mail or, you know, bring the guys that are working next door who have actually been very quiet through this past uh, hour of our interview here. I'm going to go out and maybe give them a couple of beers for not getting the jackhammer out during my radio show. And maybe that will increase my luck. Or everybody <laughs> um, likes homemade lemonade. You got any lemons nearby? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I think I could find some lemons. There's quite a, a, a lot of lemon trees around the neighborhood here. So maybe I should do that in, instead of the beer. You're probably right. Well, every, but just everybody maybe, loves fresh lemonade. You know, I, I, <laughs> I have a lemon tree out back here and I uh, make myself get to make myself fresh lemonade all the time. It's a summertime treat around here. That's why I happen to think of it. It's such a great idea. Well, Gay Hendricks, you are so cool to talk to, and I've loved spending some time with you today. Check out the book, everybody, Conscious Luck, and you can go to ConsciousLuck.com and also find Gay Hendricks online, the Hendricks Institute. And Gay, you're just the best. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Diane. Thanks for your work. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.